start the podcasting recording and hopefully it stays put. Good afternoon, everyone. Hello, Lex. Hello, Max. Hello, That Cali Life 818. Hello, New York Diecast. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. And I'm here at Bissimoto for another great Tech Tuesday. I was just in Toronto not too long ago, twice in one year, which is crazy, right? Hello, Zephyr. Zephyr, good to see you. Hello, Ari's here with us as well. Duran's here. Duran's here, logging on. He's right here next to me with Aaron. Yeah, there's plenty of spaceships in the background. Hello, Mr. MCN. I would be more than happy to build an RSR. I'm all about that. Hello, Lex. Hello, Fernando. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another exciting Tech Tuesday here at Bissimoto. Of course, I have Ari right here. Let me turn it around so you guys can see her. Ari, they see it. There you go. That's her right there. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, good thing as well, Lorenzo. Sorry that it's so crazy here. Um, okay, Garklaus, I will message you back about 3D printing. I think you sent me a message about using exotic materials, but let's talk about that. Hello, Eten. Eteni. Basil, good seeing you. Hello, Tito. Hello, Lex. Well, Lex just started hitting the ground running with questions about his uh, Golf VR6. Terrible. I will get to all of those. But guys, thank you once again for this opportunity and for those of you on YouTube, thank you very much. This is an opportunity where people write in live and also ahead of time to get their questions answered on Instagram. And I'm here to answer those questions and to share some great information. Hello, AJ. AJ, you're out there across the pond. I heard it's very warm in the UK. You guys are getting a bit of a heat wave, which is interesting. It's like in upper 70s. So people are freaking out over there because it's in the 70s. Very hot. Next week is going to be 80s for you guys, so it's going to be pretty interesting. Thank you, Gara. Thank you for the kind words. So, Ari's here, and she will ask me all these questions you guys sent in, which hopefully I can get to all of them and answer them properly. And of course, I'd be more than happy to answer them live as well. And if it goes crazy, I'll leave and come back in, because Instagram limits me to one hour, and we'll have a time. So, thank you so much, guys, for joining me this afternoon. I'd like to also thank the guys from Purell for supporting us today and being able to allow us to have this great time with all of you. Um, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Zephyr. So this will be up for 24 hours here on Instagram, and then I'll have it on YouTube later on today, and then you can also listen to it on iTunes um, or Anchor or Radio Public and some other options. Just look for BC Moto and it'll come up. Yeah, I heard that, the aesthetics. It's pretty warm. I spoke to my friends from Quake this morning, and they were like, it is bananas, and people are like going crazy and jumping out of buildings or something. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, uh, he says nothing. He's in Paris. That uh, 26 Celsius is nothing. That's <laughs> so <laughs> funny. It's pretty warm here in Ontario, especially back here in the garage, which is pretty interesting. So, Ari's giving me that look, guys, so I have to get to your questions. So, Ari, what's the first question we have today so far? Our very first question comes from Christian Joho. Christian Joho. Hopefully you're here. How often do you get slant noses in besides this one in the back of you? Well, not very often. Um, slant noses are those that are not super popular. As a matter of fact... They have a stigma here in the United States for a certain type of individual. Um, Duran hangs around them a lot, so he should probably know. But anyway, um, they're not very popular here. But nowadays, they've made a resurgence, so people are starting to see more and more snap noses. I own a couple of them in-house here, and this one is actually the first 935 I've ever had here, which is pretty exciting. Hello, Sam. Good seeing you. and Good talking to you earlier today. Hello, Lulu. Hi. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. So not very often. Um, the air-cooled engines come in quite often, but the slant nose variety of the body is not very commonplace. So I hope that answers your question. Hello, James. Why are you laughing and crying? Oh, because of what I said about drawing. Okay. Hello, Alfie. Good seeing you. Hello, Keely. Okay. What else do we have, Ari? A question from 
SN Meyer. SN Meyer. Which Porsche platform do you consider to have the best performance potential per dollar? Okay, so he's asking what's the best bang for buck Porsche. And I shared this last week. Hands down, the 996 Turbo, the most underrated supercar that I feel is in the market today. It is a spectacular platform. And look at what you get for mid to upper 30s and in a very clear example, low 40s. You get all-wheel drive. This guy's a boxer. No, not a boxer. <laughs> um, it's definitely the 996 Turbo. And here's what you get. You get all-wheel drive. You get a gearbox that can handle four-digit power. You get an engine that can handle 700 horsepower in factory form. You have very slight modifications you have to perform to create some great, liability, some great reliability. With a very simple ECU upgrade, uh, turbos on the factory manifold, and intercooler upgrade, you can make 700 horsepower, which is pretty awesome. And it has that nice little plastic feel to it, which is very, very endearing. So it, it really is a, a supercar in the 30s that can make a lot of power and be very enjoyable. And bang for buck, that is really a good platform. Turbo upgrade, intercooler upgrade, and a flash or ECU upgrade, and you have 700 horses, that's pretty, pretty freaking cool. And all-wheel drive to boot, and the gearbox is very robust. So in my opinion, and based on my experience, that is the most cost-effective Porsche to modify the unloved, un, how should I say, uh, exalted Porsche 996 Twin Turbo, which is pretty awesome. Hello, son, sister, good seeing you. Hey, Sabra, good seeing you. Hopefully James is doing well. I haven't seen you here in quite a long time. Hello, Boozer. Um, oh, look at you. <laughs> Alfie, you're talking crap about the lights, but you know that the, uh, they actually improved on the lights for the 996 Turbo. It doesn't quite have that fried egg look. So that slight uh, uh, demarcation that occurs, I like that. It's actually quite nice. So I appreciate that. My pleasure, Gio. Hello, Chrissy. Good seeing you. Thanks for joining us this afternoon here with Ari and the team, and we are answering some great questions that you guys sent in, and I'll be getting to quite a few of yours in between and at the end as well. So what else do we have, Ari? Question from AJ. AJ. <laughs> AJ! Yes. Question from you. I love it. Thank you, Young. Thank you, Young Deezes. Deezes. Very interesting name. Young Deezes. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Seeing as you have a diesel truck and Purell does not make it, what 5W30 diesel oil would you recommend for a daily driven turbo four-cylinder diesel car? Something high performance, I, I really haven't seen anything that's ideal. I'm kind of pushing the guys from Purell to right, help make something diesel-wise. Um, I leave it up to the dealership to put in what, whatever rubbish or whatever they like to put in there. Duran's over here laughing. So I really don't have a recommendation because in high performance activity, I haven't seen anything that I played with that was just absolutely superb. So I'm sorry, AJ, I don't have a proper um, answer for that one. My apologies, huh? Okay. Yes, sorry. What else do we have? Okay. Uh, let's see. B5 Rider. B5 Rider. He wants to know at what mileage should the 987S owner reconsider, I'm sorry, consider rebuilding the engine? Well, it depends. So he's asking on the 987, which is, um, it could be a Boxster or Cayman. Um, I think it's a 987S, yeah? Yes. So Cayman or Boxster S, that's of the 06 and upper variety. Um, one I find very appealing because it's very tunable, has a lot of opportunity for that. Thank you, KG, for the kind words. Um, it really depends. I've seen engines not do so well at the 50,000 mark, and I've seen them go to 200,000. So it depends on how they're maintained and was the engine built on a Monday or on a Friday. I don't know. Anyway, but nonetheless, the health of the engine determines. It's not really a mileage thing because even my own 987S is 70,000 miles, but I do want to upgrade it. And we have quite a few clients here who come in, and they have 100. 120, 130,000, and they're still good. So the health of the engine, do a proper leak down. If you see leak downs, 
uh, that are very poor, when we start seeing things edging towards 10% or higher, it's time to refreshen it. If you start consuming a lot of oil, it's time to refreshen it. If you start having some challenges where you're just smoking like crazy, or you hear this nice <laughs> pounding in the bottom end, <laughs> Eric's laughing here. It's time to rebuild it. So the health of the engine is determinant, not necessarily the age or the or the mileage on the car. Because if you maintain the car properly, it can go for 200,000 miles without qualm, even in high-performance applications, which is pretty nice. So let the health of the engine definitely give you the insight on when to rebuild. Okay? Hope that answers your question properly. Good evening, Akmal. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, that's a 3.4 liter H6. Absolutely, Alfie. Thank you so much for that insight. Hello, Beluja. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Okay. What else do we have, Ari? We've got a question from Adam Bendov. Adam Bendov. Okay, I've seen him around. He's been quite active. Yeah, he's asked questions before. Do you think that there is a long-term future for naturally aspirated engines, Uh, either for racing, like your single overhead cam insight, or for production road cars? That's a great question. He's asking, do I see much future in ICEs, internal combustion engines, that are naturally aspirated? Um, Hello, Kim Lady. Good seeing you. Thanks for joining us. And, and Zirin, hang tight. I would definitely have some thoughts about the 13B. But prior to getting to that, um, I do have some thoughts about natural aspiration. And even though I hone my teeth in that, and many of you don't remember that, and Jerome gives me a hard time every week. Every week, he gives me a hard time about building NA setups. He's a bad influence. But um, unfortunately, today's market demands high performance, efficiency, with limited gas consumption. So that being said, as we continue to interact with engineers at OEMs, um, everyone is taking the same pathway, which is small displacement, turbocharged, with a small dash of EV technology leading into full EV. That's everyone. And what they're trying to achieve is the power of, let's say, a V6 or a V8 in an inline four, with the weight of an inline four and the efficiency of an inline four that's optimized using direct injection. So that's what's happening. And, and Tom, as you say, there's no replacement for displacement, but technology is. As you think about it, air is the key element to allow us to make a lot of power. Um, so as much air as you can ingest into an engine with the appropriate amount of fuel, the more power you make. So that being said, everyone is rushing towards turbocharging using quote-unquote, wasted energy to compress air into the engine to make it more efficient, consume and make more power, while using direct injection and all the advantages of direct injection, better stratification, better cooling, being able to run leaner mixtures without knock, being able to allow for increased gas mileage, all that's happening. And then adding in EV technology as an integrated motor assist, it's it's absolutely fantastic. And Antoine, you're absolutely correct. The smaller engines are lighter, which... aids in efficiency even further, which is pretty interesting. And lighter doesn't mean faster and less fuel consumption, which is what everyone is going to. So as sad as it is, the days of the ICE natural aspirated engines are numbered, and the big displacement ones definitely are numbered. So it's, it's, going, to, it's going to change, you know. Um, I hear you, Tom Blas. I know. Old school is the way to go. I really feel for that. And I'm, I even love the beauty of not only or the simplicity of old school, old school engines, but I love the beauty of the old school vehicles where we didn't have to worry about hip clearances or pedestrian safety. The cars looked really, really cool. And that's why I'm a huge advocate of taking old school cars and infusing new technology in them. So it's just pretty nice. Yeah, and then everyone's going to direct injection, absolutely. Because 
it allows for more efficiency. It allows you to run leaner mixtures and make more power. And it allows just better combustion. So when you look at the elements that come out of the tailpipe, it's a lot more conducive for environment, for lack of a better word. Um, no, and it is a 935, which um, came from Europe, just came to the country last week. And um, this uh, very wealthy owner wanted to make it uh, streetable. So changed the front end quite a bit to allow for laws out there in Europe with headlights and whatnot. So the new owner wants to bring it back to his old school glory. So that's what we're going to do, which is pretty exciting. But thanks for asking that question. Yes, MJ, my neighbor, MJ Photograph, efficiency is key. So, yes, Ari, what else do we have? Another good question from AJ. AJ, AJ, by the way, I love your questions. You are fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's like you're such a great individual. And we love your, we love your, uh, oh, here, see, see, see this? AJ, I'm sorry, I was interrupted in complimenting you with this rubbish from Deron. He's asking about the insights. So, Deron, I'll get you a question. <laughs> <laughs> Very soon. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Question. Which, which of the following two setups would you deem better and more favorable for a high six-second drag car oh. using the standard chassis? Standard chassis. Okay. S small tire. Oh, already. That's, that's out. I can already tell. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Small tire. Small tire and full interior, all-wheel drive, drag radial with IRS. Or rear-wheel drive drag radio with four-link rear suspension. The latter. The latter. You know, some of the challenges that we have with adhesion um, on a drag strip are the locations of the suspension. So being able to have that flexibility to place it elsewhere and also not running a small tire. Because you can get away with drag radios that have a decent adhesion pattern, um, especially if your sizes are at liberty, if you have liberty for what size to use. So definitely, AJ, he's laughing now. Um, the latter is the way to go. Uh, Dippin' Deep says, hello, decent Ari. Dippin' Deep, he's Dippin' Deep. Oh, yeah, I have his question. There you go. Oh, your question is here. Okay, so yeah. let's, let's answer your question, Dippin'. Okay, his question is, how do Honda distributors advance at higher RPMs? Uh, also, how much should it, it, should it advance, and would oh. there be any reason to run a lockout like a muscle car distributor? Okay, so Dippin', your question... We could do an hour on that question alone. So I'll give you the cliff notes on that. On that, um, When you have a distributor, it's just a physical device, right? So this physical device has these points, let's say in, a, in line four, four points. And you have this rotor that passes by the four points and then contacts it. The signals are sent to the coil has the capability of being delayed or enhanced in timing. So that being said, if you want to advance a fixed distributor input, you can have the coil, even though it has opportunity to contact, you can have it delay the spot given to each point digitally. Um, hence, delaying it and retarding it. You can also advance it because you have the rotor with a wide amount of time that it contacts the point. And during that segment of contact, you can initiate or de-initiate a spark, which is pretty nice. It's much easier when you use direct injection or direct coils or seal coil unplug, but you can do the same thing with distributors. The duration is determined by the combustion chamber shape and what the coil can handle in terms of discharging and charging. And the ideal advance or retard is also dependent on static compression camshaft profile, overlap, 
combustion shape, chamber size, combustion chamber shape, dome shape. There's so many variables. So how I optimize emission timing is on the dyno. By optimizing it and playing with ignition timing across an, a wide RPM band and seeing either in steady state when partial throttle or in sweeps in full throttle what is ideal. And you, what I notice is that, unfortunately, most tuners tend to do this, but I notice you don't have the best efficiency near knock. Your efficiency can exist where you have the mean pressure in the combustion chamber way ahead of knock or sometimes close to it. It depends on so many parameters. And it is a disadvantage to lock out your timing to have it just at a static BTC or ignition before target center. It's really not advantageous because different RPMs are efficient with different types of ignition advance. So that was something that domestic guys had to use because they didn't have access to technology. Anyone doing that today is leaving a lot of power and efficiency on the table, which is really sad. But I hope that answers your question. Um, what I may do is maybe we'll have a session where we talk primarily about ignition timing and advance, but that would be a good 30-minute session. I won't give to that in much detail, but that's a fantastic question indeed. Um, blast plates on a transmission. I don't know what blast plates are. Do you know what a blast plate is? I'm not familiar with this concept, Boca. Blast plate on a transmission. There are things in scattershell. In scattershell, I can talk about that. Scattershell is a blanket, but I don't know what a blast plate is. So if you Kind of give me some insight, and if it's something I've had experience with, I'll be more than happy to. They are reinforcements. If it's a scatter shield, because I know that scatter shields are what the NHRA tends to mandate, because back in the day when people used cinder iron clutches uh, on rural drive applications, if the clutches came apart, they could come through the gearbox and cut the person's leg. For some reason, they make us do that on front-wheel drives, which is weird. But that's no longer a challenge, because we have more exotic materials now. Um, keep the transitions have some splitting. Well, if it's something that holds the transmission halves together, I have not had experience with that, so I don't have much insight. But if it's scattered shield, I've had quite a bit. So he says it's a device that allows you to keep the gearbox together so they don't split half, which I've not, I've not played with those at all. It's a SUBI thing, eh? Well, I haven't played with it. Not at all. More performance brought to market for SUBIs, and that boats on outside. I've never had, nope, never played with it. I've made a lot of power, but uh, I've never played with it. Uh, Green Car is asking the model of the Porsche. There's a 935 right here. There's a, a Boxster derivative right there that now looks more like a Cayman. And there's a 914 right there. So I hope that helps. So it's two plates. He really is going to detail with this, but I really don't know about it. <laughs> I don't know about it. Okay. Yes, Ari, what else do we have? Question from CT Racer. CT Racer, Alfie. A question from you, which is great. He has a beer question. A beer, as in consumption beer. Yes. So Alfie, you have a question about beer. So I'm curious. Oh, England scored, AJ said. That's really shocking. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's good. That's good. We'll see how the match goes on. Okay. What is his beer question? He wants to know whether you like stouts, lagers, sour, or IPAs. Um, Alfie, I forgive you. And Jerome's laughing. He's, he's a troll. I should send him out. No. Um, Alfie, I don't drink beer. At all. I don't. I don't think say sours. Sours? No, say IPAs. Sours. See, everyone has their own opinion here. So, sours and sour. Ari says IPA. You won't like says sours. sours. Sour. So, okay, I don't, I, I, I don't drink beer. Hello, Sheepy. Ontario's nice and warm. I don't know if you're in Temecula yet, but hopefully things are good over there. <laughs> AJ's laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Slain Man. Lager is what AJ says. I would say, what do I drink? Um, what is this? 
What are you showing me? That's a glass pipe. I don't know. I've never used it. It's a reinforcement that holds the two together. Ah, what happens? They split in half? Why are they splitting in half? Could it be the gears are angled a certain way that it creates stresses that pulls them apart? Then straight cut maybe down instead, instead of oh, wait, this is case. Huh. Anyway, here's sharing some information with me. Oh, Raswaga, I didn't see your question. I'm so sorry. Alfie <laughs> says, what? Yes, I, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> beer. I don't, um, no. SIR, nothing with Tesla's yet, not quite yet. But it's very, very interesting to me. So don't be surprised if you see something very, very, very soon. Uh, IPAs have a solid taste, is what Mike says. This is really interesting. Maybe I should do a Tech Tuesday at a, oh, at a brewery or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Tech talking beers. Let's do it. Tech talking beers. <laughs> Even though I don't beers, you know. Ah, see, Boca says the gears pull away. So you see, the gears do pull away. So it has to do something with the the gear and how they're interacting and at high pressures or loads, it pushes them away. That happens in inline fours too, or front wheel drives. So people cuss. Internally. We do things internally, not externally. Um Garakulas asked, if I could build or work on any car that I've not done before, something completely different, what would it be and why? I would do a full EV. Knew it. <laughs> I knew it. A full EV multi-purpose vehicle. Something that could drag race, road race, and off-road. I know it's crazy, right? But I feel that there's an opportunity for a really cool multi-purpose video, um, in a vehicle with different modes because the way I would apply the torque would be different whether I'm drag racing, road racing, time carving, or off-roading. So I think that's something I really love to do, and it'll look extremely unique, and it wouldn't be a platform or a chassis. It could be a chassis that currently exists. It could be a low-space chassis, but the body would be something very different. But it's something I definitely would like to do, you know. Um, on a D-Series engine, what's the benefit of switching to a B-Series gearbox? I would say EJ1. Um, people like the aftermarket support. The B-Series gearbox is much more robust than the D-Series, especially if you look at the earlier Ds. Like anything from the 88 through 2005, those are really kind of weak sauce. They have aluminum forks that break. We put a lot of torque load into them. And people just like the, 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 the robust nature of the B-Series. They're also really available and a lot of, after, did I say a lot of aftermarket support? Tons of aftermarket support. I like the weight and the gearing of the D-Series. So I tend to go with the first gen Integra D, which is from 86 to 89 Integra. Those are really robust, and they have that, that bearing assembly that exists between fourth and fifth gear to keep the gears from splitting, something we've been talking about quite a bit today about Subis. So that happens with inline fours as well, that front-wheel drive, and we do the same thing. Um, so Hans, wow, there's so many great questions. I love you guys. These are great questions, and we have 60 people live. Um, Hans is asking, would I prefer to build a Z7 K series or a standard K24? If it's naturally aspirated, I'll go with an earlier K24, something out of the TSX. If it's boosted, Z7, bar none. Ari and I were just talking about that this morning, which is pretty exciting. So yes, boost one and eighty other. Um, yes, one-legged Cam, one-legged Sam. Oh, interesting name. Um, yes, I w it is possible. Absolutely, you could put a jet turbine engine in the chassis if you wanted to. You know. Um, yes, babes, I have, and we've done partnerships. So one thing that I do very well is. Um, if there is something that I want to explore and I have someone around me who can do a better job, I would definitely partner with them. So, for example, Duran's here, and he's a very talented tech guy, very talented. So if there are things that need to happen here that even though I could probably do and it would take me a while, I would go to an expert like him to assist me so it can be absolutely perfect. So the same thing comes with Intake Design. 
I can design the intake here, but I'm not going to forge something here or digitally create something here. I can take the drawing and send to my partners at Kinsler and they'll make it happen. And that's why Kinsler exists here in the Honda world because of my interaction with um, uh, Jim Kinsler and also Scott there. And we made it happen, which was great. Before that, they could care less about the Honda market. And now all of you have access to, K, to Kinsler ITVs. So it's the same thing. So that's typically what I do. Hello, Sam. I'm up to you as well. Um, wow, that's a good one. So what I noticed, um, AJ, is that the K24s in the CRVs and elements are really a rubbish heads <laughs> and very limited valve train. And when you take a look at the cam control, um, there are limitations as well in the IV tech assemblies on those heads. Um, and the cam profiles are smaller. When you look at the, the TSX, um, earlier TSXs with the K24, those are really robust. The K24As, those are really, really cool engines. Flow extremely well, um, especially in the exhaust ports. And the cams are nice. The VTEC assembly is nothing to be left um, desired. Then you go to K24Z7, and this is something that a lot of people don't know. The K24Z7 intake outflows every K prior to it, which is awesome, right? No, not rubbish heads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the CRV and elements are rubbish heads, but... The Z7s outflow everything. Bigger ports, amazing hands. But the exhaust, particularly cylinders one and four, flow like a B-series because of the integrated head. But they really lend themselves very well to turbocharging, which is pretty nice. You know. Best way to eliminate turbo lag, Jacob asks, anti-lag. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> using electronics and technology to our, to our advantage. Okay, you're sorry. Uh, we got a question from Boost Francisco. It is. Boost Francisco. Is this a real 935 or just a creamer body? What are the differences between the K3, K4, and K5 evolutions? Okay, so that is a great question. This is a proper body on this car. And as I mentioned earlier in our interaction, um, the individual who owned it initially was very financially stable and decided to make it roadworthy. So it has a bunch of interior components, which is cool, and has a front end to allow it to be legal um, on roadways in Europe. And now the new owner wants to bring it back to its old-time glory. So we found the original mold here in California uh, to bring this back to a proper, proper K-series. K-series. I can't believe you K-series about a Porsche. 935. Now, the, for those of you who don't know, the 935 was Porsche's way of, of really racing back in the day, in the 70s or whatnot. And it really pays nod and homage to the earlier RSRs, which is pretty cool. The K1s were kind of stayed, remained in the house, and, and, and Porsche would actually allow certain select individuals to have access to it. It wasn't something that was commercially available. So what I determined was that um, a company like Kramer, who was based, I think, in Cologne, Germany, Kramer started their own builds alongside of the K1s because Porsche just wouldn't allow people to modify them. And then the K2 came about um, by using base Ks or 935s from the from the uh, manufacturer and building upon them. And the subsequent were just evolutions with bodies, suspension, turbocharging, engines, and so on and so forth. They typically existed anywhere from 3.0 to 3.2 liters. And even without a limited slip differential, a lot of them made north of 700 horsepower, which is pretty cool for back in the day. So the differences are primarily in body, engine, and also just a natural progression for each year. But the K1s, um, those definitely were as a result of portion I wanted to sell it to anyone. And the K2s were like Porsche derivative cars that were modified, and the rest were evolutions, which are pretty good. They ended up doing extremely well in the racing series as well in Europe, which is pretty nice. And quite a few of them came to America, which is nice as well. This one has never set foot in the U.S., and has been here since last week. Um, Baby's one. That's not you, right? 
Well, you don't even write it. <laughs> Could you build a manifold for a VG30? See, John's uh, smiling. In the Nissan D21. What is a D21? The hard body truck. Hard body truck. Not really. <laughs> I could, but I don't have it in my plans, babies. Yes, I could absolutely design something, but I don't have it in my plans. I don't have, I don't have a relationship with Nissan at all, which is quite sad. Hello, Memphis. Good seeing you. Hello, Isaac Carr. Um, so, Isaac, people are saying this. When, you, when I raised my minivan, they saw Fiero in the shop. Are we been a Fiero? So, that's, it's a very, I get this question like twice a month now, which is pretty interesting. That was a, nine, a red 914. It was a Fiero. <laughs> Even though I like Fiero, I loved Fieros back in the day until I came to the United States and saw the Consumer Reports review on that. I'm like, oh no, those things catch on fire, they're not very reliable. So, I didn't, but I, I always loved the Pontiac Fieros. But it wasn't Fiero, it was a, it's a red 914, which I can see the resemblance there. Um, so I apologize if you really got super excited about that. Eh? Sorry about that. Um, Antoine is asking, can I explain the post-chamber systems? You must be psyched because I really wanted you to talk about that today, which is pretty nice. So this is, um, we have the back in stock now. This is the uh, post-chamber system for the Porsche 911. This is what we use on all the G-Body and, and newer um, air-cooled 911s that are of the 3.0 and 3.2 variety. So you see everything from 1976 moving up to as far up as 1989, as long as it's a single output with a single catalyst coming from it. So it's very, very simple concept. It uses pressure waves, which you may see in intake harmonic design, uh, to attenuate certain frequencies and help with scavenging. So in a nutshell, you see this weird kind of protrusion here. What happens is that sound waves are very interesting devices. Air is the fluid, just like you would see with water. So if you go in a lake and you drop a pedal, pebble into the lake, you see the water transfer and get to the edge of the lake. Or let's say something smaller, in like a um, bathtub. You have a bathtub full of water, you put a small undulation or you drop something in the bathtub, you see the wave travel through the tub, it gets to the wall of the tub, it reflects and comes back. So the same thing happens with sound waves. So when you have sound here, it can travel up the track of exhaust and evacuate. And a certain wave can also travel to the end of this and then reflect. If you time this length properly, you have an opportunity where the sound wave that comes in will match a sound wave coming back and they cancel out. And what that results in is a nice frequency attenuation. So you pretty much kill a certain frequency. The biggest complaint that Porsche people have with exhaust systems is drone. Because of the nature of the engine, be the flat six, and because of how Porsche gears their, their setups, when cruising about 3,500, you have this which is pretty annoying. So that being said, if you can time this, which we have out of, with a lot of try and error engineering algorithm generation and all that, you can literally have a proper conversation between 3,500 air-cooled engine and still have the power benefits of this. The same way you attenuate, it also helps with scavenging. If you can time this right, in a, above and beyond the sound benefits, you can help pull out more air during overlap, which gives you a cleaner mixture and a lot more power. Above and beyond, it's much lighter than you would see with a factory setup. I think you save, I think like 12 or 13 pounds, which is pretty nice, and Porsche guys love that, which is pretty cool. Um, what did I miss from Alfie? He said that you need to get a mullet wig. Don't judge me, wig. <laughs> oh. That's a good idea. I I'll, look, I'll, find, I'll try and find one of those. Me and Hedy were thinking um, after. Isaac says not all Fieros catch on fire. I don't mean all of them. I just read <laughs> about Fieros reports how some of them do. And as a student at the time, I couldn't afford to do that. So that's why I opted to that 88 CRX. And 
it's good because my decision is the reason why I'm here with you today. Because I didn't go with a Fiero. I went with CRS instead, so I'm here, which is pretty good. Um, not much of anything Garakulas with the BMW M62. Nothing yet. Um, what would I recommend for a uh, 2JZ with around 600 horsepower? Yes, sorry. CD07. CD07? Transmission. Oh. Out of. What's out of? Uh, 350Z. Really? Really? That's interesting. I thought you go with a six speed out of a Supra. I've heard that that one, that transmission is really good with our engine. TJ. Interesting. I was thinking of getting So she says one of the three. That's interesting. Oh, CD09. But you know what I would do? I'd do a sequential from Quave. Okay. <laughs> I'm crazy. I just do a robot sequential. That's what I would do. So, Jacob, that's what I would recommend. Um, AJ says CD09 for sure. CD09 is where the one legged says. I say Quave sequential. Uh, is that automatic or is that a six speed? Or is it a H pattern, sorry? Six speed, I believe. Six speed? Yeah. yeah. 350Z. Yeah. Get drag. <laughs> That's good. Oh, there's so many suggestions coming here. So I guess my mind is way different. I'm a sequential guy for sure. I'm sweating here. I'm just pretty crazy. Anyway, um, V160 is about three to $5,000. Jacob says that thumbs up, but I say thumbs up to sequential. <laughs> okay, what else do we have, Ari? Okay, Hardy Mount Castle. <clears throat> oh, interesting. Hardy Mount Castle. He wants to know what's your favorite Japanese car of all time. Ooh. My favorite Japanese car of all time. Of all time. That's a great question. See, I'm partial to the 2000 GT that Toyota makes because it's really cool and it's in a Bond film. But I'm doing something because of a car I miss very much. It has to be my wagon. Of all time, it's it's my 720 horsepower first turbocharged in-house build wagon. That's my favorite Japanese car of all time. It was really cool, really classic. It was really really nice. Um, and I miss that car so much, and that's why I'm trying to recreate it this year. And hopefully, I would have an opportunity to. Um, do a good job in making a second version of it. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. But that's, that really is my favorite Japanese car of all time. And, and maybe some, of, maybe your answer was to ask about something that's commercially available, but I get really bored of commercially available vehicles very easily. I, I really like creating things, so that's my favorite. So I hope that answers your question so much. AJ says the NSX Type R. Good choice. NSX R is pretty cool, um, but I, I really like that one band. It, it was a lot of fun. Okay, what else do we have, Ari? Question from AJ. AJ, question from you. It's a little lengthy. A lengthy one. Okay. How much of a difference would you see using the aerodynamic platform of a first-gen Insight for a one-eighth or quarter-mile drag racing okay. compared to a lesser aerodynamic shape of a Civic okay. or other front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, or all-wheel drive drag racing platforms in terms of ET and MPH oh. and also... How much does your insight currently weigh without you in it? With me or without, without me? Without you in it. I kind of gain some weight. But let's start with the first question. <laughs> let's start with the first question. So the inside is way back there. You guys can kind of see it through the, you know, kind of, maybe you can see it through the window. You guys on YouTube can definitely see that, the inside over there. Um, by far, and I proved it firsthand, AJ, the inside body, even with a heavier chassis, is superior in terms of efficiency, ETs and mile per hour. So, perfect example, the CRX I had before, which is more aerodynamic than EG or EK, 
I gained three tenths and two miles an hour with the same engine, same power plant, and a heavier car with the inside, primarily because of aerodynamics. The cam effect that occurs where the rear of the car terminates very quickly helps significantly with aerodynamics. And at the time, the Insight was the most aerodynamic production car, period. So I believe it was the CD was in the mid-twos, which is really nice. So that being said, what are you Deron, stop it. Talk about it. He's right here. Yeah, what about that Insight? So that being said, without me in it, if my memory serves correctly at the time, that Insight weighs 1710, which is pretty nice. So it's pretty, pretty lightweight, which is pretty nice. And full unibody still, um, still has a stock windshield, and nothing really cut out the car, which is pretty nice. So um, how much would I charge to convert an automatic car to a manual? That depends. It's too many different applications. Is it V8, V6, inline 4? Is it front-wheel drive already? It depends. Is it something commercially available? So Turbo Junkie, that's a very broad question. I would highly ask you to send that question to sales at vcmo.com and give us as much information as possible. And if it's something we can point you in the right direction, we'd be more than happy to do that for you. Okay? Uh, what other question do we have, Ari? A uh, question from Bay J6. Bay J6. What is the highest horsepower you've seen on a Y7 stock sleeve on uh, Boost? The highest I've seen on stock sleeves was 450. And he ended up cracking the block. So, as in the sleeve. So, that being said, um, it's, it's not that much. I'd like to begin with the end of mind. I would be really happy pushing a stock sleeve D-series, um, a Y especially, um, past 300 without sleeving it or doing something very unique. So um, 450 is the most, but it ends up cracking the sleeve. So I hope I answered your question properly. Another AJ question. AJ! Good one from you. Two more from AJ. Two more from AJ. Let's, let's go. Let's knock it out. Yeah. If okay. you were to design a billet cylinder head for a restrictive engine such okay. as a D-series right. or 2JZ for better hair, head flow, okay. what shortcomings do you think you would still end up encountering while creating such a thing? Okay. And if there weren't any, would it theoretically be possible to have a 2JZ head flow over 400 CFM and be relatively inexpensive or would that just remain a dream? So let me start with your with your last part of the question, AJ, to answer the first part of the question, um, the cost would be the challenge, because it could be very expensive to do billet heads. And then above and beyond that, to get to 400 CFM flow, which would make tons of power, the low RPM efficiency would suffer. So you have the good port volume, but the velocity required for low RPM activity would be really, really poor. So that would be a good drag application, high-speed vehicle with a very short power band, it may also be a good application for turbocharging indeed. The physical challenges I see is being able to fit the head under the confines of a regular hood. Because to be able to have the most efficient head, you want the port to point right at the back of the valve head. And to do that, the head has to be quite tall. If I had a magic wand to make the most efficient head, I would really play more with pneumatics than having a physical camshaft. I like to be able to pneumatically actuate the valves to act as a throttle body and also a camshaft profile at the same time. And once again, that adds to complexity and cost. Oh, thank you, David. I appreciate that. So I hope that answers your question. Um, cost is number one a big challenge, but also being able to fit the confines of an engine bay could be the secondary one. Okay, last question. Yes. Uh, it's, uh, would a Ford 8.8-inch rear and four-link or a ladder bar rear suspension end fit in the rear of a first-gen Insight as well as a longitudinal gearbox, or would you need to cut out parts of the body? So, yes, it would fit. 
So he's asking with a 49 inch with a lot of bars and all the conversions you typically see on a domestic vehicle exist in a first gen Insight and could you convert that to a rear drive? Yes, you can. Um, the battery section tray is pretty high up, so you have some space there. The spare tire well does protrude very nicely into the area where you have the rear end. So that being said, that has to be surgically removed. There's a slight tunnel in the middle of the car as well, so that would allow for access of a drive shaft, but you have significant surgery in the front where the bell housing would sit or the gearbox would sit, plus you have a steering mechanism right there in the way. It's going to require a lot of fabrication and a lot of manipulation. As a matter of fact, if, if I were to do it, I would move that steering that complexity or components to the front of the engine. And that will allow you to have a lot better um, application for the, for the rear-wheel drive setup and the steering. And it would eliminate the challenge that you would see with the gearbox going through the firewall. So it's going to be a lot of fabrication. So I think I know what you're getting at. That would be a pretty cool project. Um, I don't know, Jeremiah. He's asking, Jeremiah's asking, what does AJ do all his answers? I mean, that's what we're here. I mean, even if we speculate and talk about it and, and you know, great things come from interactions. So who knows, Jeremiah? Maybe good. Um, thank you so much to Will and Dre. I appreciate the kind words. Um, what max PSI on a stock SR20 DET? And that's very challenging because the turbocharger size to Will and Dre di dictates what power output would come from each level of boost. So a 15 PSI on a disco potato, small turbocharger, is much different than a 15 PSI on a large mid-frame turbocharger that's 72 millimeters inducer and higher. So it depends. So if you give me some insight on what turbocharger size you're thinking of, I can probably answer that question better. Um, Zero and Sun, I promise to get to you, and I will now, ask about my thoughts on the 13B rotary. I love Wanko engines, period. As an engineer and as, a, as an enthusiast, I see the viable attributes of having less moving parts, of being lightweight, of being very simple. I also like the sound of them and the high RPM reliable capability of them. I just love revving those things. Um, the setbacks on those engines are the heat they generate, um, the challenge with some of the seals, even with advances in seal technology, um, the emissions they generate, um, the same loud noise that I love is also a detriment as well. And the lack of parts availability in today's environment, you know. So that being said, um, I do like rotaries. They're very cool engines. And now Mazda's bringing it back to pair with EV technology for new platforms, which is pretty cool. So it allows the opportunity to have ICE advantages for access to petrol stations everywhere. And also has a lightweight and efficiency and less moving parts that you see in a piston engine, which is pretty, pretty nice, you know. Um, Antoine saying AJ is secretly taking the last bit of information to create these projects. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm here to help. If there's anything I can do to help you create your project and do well, that'd be fantastic. How long will it take to tune a custom map on a big street port RX8? If you're using a standard AEM, it could take you two or three hours. Not too bad at all. Thank you so much, one legged Sam. Appreciate that. AJ is giving, he's looking funny at that crazy emoji. So thank you so much. How are we doing so far? We're doing our questions, yeah? Okay. Okay, beautiful. That was a really good session. What's the best bank for a buck for a suspension setup? What we use on a Mark IV Supra? Ah, oh, bank for buck. Ooh, see, suspension is something that I don't like to skim on, to be honest with you. Um, bank for buck. Oh, I'm probably the wrong person to ask that. Because I, I like to invest properly in suspension. Almost everything here is on KWs, and if not, on Bilstein's. Um, I would build something custom with my friends from Progress. That's what <laughs> I would do. And I think that would give you the capability of having custom valving 
without breaking the bank. So they're right here in Anaheim, California. I'd ask you to give Ed a call, and he can probably knock something out for you for a month four. Very easy. Hello, Honda Pro Parts. Good seeing you. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Hello, Kiers Hungary. Oh, he's saying LOL. That's very nice. Hello, Paco. Good seeing you. What does Freeport mean? Well, that is a way of modifying um, roadways. So they have different levels of porting that gives performance levels of like uh, having larger camshafts in the piston engine, AJ. So you have a standard street port, then you have a bridge port, and you have a peripheral port, which is pretty bananas. And that's where they port just certain openings in the engine to allow for better breathability and performance, just in a very simplistic manner. But it's like modifying your engines. And the bigger the port you go, you go to peripheral ports, the more sensitive the seals are because the sealing surfaces get very thin, which is pretty interesting. Um, oh, that's one thing it says, no cams. You change the port profile, rotor faster housing, change the cam timing. That is exactly it. But it does a lot more in terms of performance that you would see than the standard cam. It just changed quite a few things in the engine in terms of how they breathe and how they perform. Oh, thank you so much, Tim Green. I appreciate the kind words. Hello, Tamil. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. I really appreciate that. So guys, they're getting towards the conclusion of our Tech Tuesday. We've been together here for about 45 minutes. Um, let's see, you want to get a cam for your F-22B or can't find it just for cam gear and suggestions? I may have one more. I did discontinue Memphis, the BC Motor cam gear for the F-22. So um, send us an email at sales at bcmotor.com. I will get to it and I'll see if I have one more left over, which is really nice, you know. Yes, I would be willing to map a street port uh, for you, Kappa, Timmy. But you may have to wait because I'm pretty slammed to the end of the year. So if you're okay waiting, I'd be more than happy to. If not, I can recommend some play, very nice places for you to take care of that for you in the interim. My pleasure, Gara. Thank you so much. Okay, guys. So I'm going to wish you farewell. Thank you once again for an enjoyable, wonderful Tech Tuesday this afternoon. Um, I look forward to your feedback. And if there are other ways that we can make this better, please, please, please do share. You can write to us directly, send me a PM, or write to me here on our Instagram feed, and I'll be more than happy to oblige. We take your criticism extremely productively. Um, I think Babes has another question. Do I have any recommendations who makes, for anyone who makes performance parts? Um, yeah, I don't have a relationship with them. I don't know who are really good tuners for Nissan's. Do you have any good suggestions for Nissan tuners or builders? See, even he's... He's dumbfounded. Um, Mitch at EP Racing. EP? Mitch at EP? Engineer Performance. Engineer Performance, Deron said, is a good, good place there. They're in Texas. But um, I don't have any experience with them at all, and I haven't designed anything. But if Nissan comes knocking, trust me, I'll be the first one, and Deron will push me like there's no tomorrow, to make sure we have tons of thoughts, you know? It's very difficult. So, Antoine, I do respond to EP. Oh, I'm getting, I'm reconnecting, which is pretty interesting. Someone said Njuko Racing, which is weird. Are they good? Njuko Racing? Um, I have a poor connection, so it paused me. Can you see me at all? You're paused. I'm paused. Okay, I think I'm back. So I got paused there. So Antoine, you were saying that I don't respond to PMs. Antoine, I wish you could get access to my PMs. I have right now 199 plus that came in the past week that I can't get to all of them. So have some patience. I try and get to all of them as much as I can, but I get a ton of them, which is pretty interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I've so many suggestions here. Alpha, SP, Alpha says I respond to him. Yeah, I see yours come up very often. But there is a secondary layer on Instagram with people who are not my friends who ask me questions and it doesn't show up and it just piles up back there, which is interesting. So I have to go in there, above and beyond the ones that are friends of mine, to be able to see them, to answer them. It's pretty interesting, you know. My pleasure, babies. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, you know. High compression, B20 versus low compression, B20 for boost. High compression. 
because high compression boost allows for a lot better efficient turbocharging system, but it narrows your tuning window. So you have to be very careful with ignition timing, extremely careful, you know. Paco, I'm working on five projects. Um, I can say that one is a domestic offering, um, one is a Japanese offering, and the other three are German Porsche offerings, which is pretty nice, you know. Um, Ari, he said you respond to him. He's very lucky. Absolutely, you know. Um, so, Paco, I hope that answers your question. There's quite a few, but I can't really go into detail. I want to be able to surprise you guys. So you see, like, oh, that's fantastic. Which is pretty nice, you know. I can also say Pro Speed. Have you heard of Pro Speed? Not just Brian. Just Brian Pro Speed. We know an NSX Acura Tuna Pro Speed, you know. Yes, we have quite a few. We have quite a few B-Series, but VTEX only. I don't have any more cores for the non-VTEX. Okay, guys, I must run. So it's great seeing all of you. Feedback is important. Take care and enjoy your holiday week. Take care, guys. Cheers. 4.30. Not as high as last week. <laughs>